Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I have the honor of being joined by Katie Ball. Katie has a rather impressive resume, both from a professional standpoint and an athletic standpoint. Some of her athletic achievements include being the two times England's strongest natural woman in the under 65 kilo category, along with one of her more recent achievements, which is taking third place in the under 75 kilo category, which is quite an incredible jump. So today we dive into Katie's personal journey and we also talk about how she works with her clients to get them in the best possible place and getting into the shape of their life. So you can expect to learn things such as how Katie made the transition from being a nurse into being the coach that she is today, how she went from being a self-proclaimed mess to being England's strongest woman. Alongside that, we talk about the most important aspects of becoming the world's strongest woman and why Katie prioritizes downtime so, so much. And there is so much more to this episode. You're going to take an abundance of value from it. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give it a five-star rating and review and make sure you go follow Katie. Her Instagram bio is in the show notes. Go show her some love. Tell her what you enjoyed about this episode and go follow her on the journey. And she's got something coming up, which we speak about at the end. That's going to be really exciting to watch. So without further ado, guys, here is Katie Ball. Katie Ball, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, Elliot. I am very well, thank you. And thanks so much for having me. This is, in fact, my very, very first podcast. So it's my debut. I'm excited to be hosting you on your debut. And I am glad you've chosen us to be your first podcast. So I'm super excited to speak with you today and get to know you better personally and also extract as much value from you as possible. Because I know that both from a professional and a personal standpoint in the sports you do, you absolutely excel. And I think you're going to be able to provide a lot of value to our listeners. But for those of people who don't know you yet and who haven't maybe heard of you before, can you give us a quick rundown on where your fitness journey begun and how it's taken to you, you, you to where you are today? 
Okay, so long story, uh, long story, uh, shortish from me, and as succinct as possible. So, I have always been into at least sport from a very, very young age. So, from the age of four, I first picked up a hockey stick down at my local club back in my hometown of Newark. So, very, very fortunate to have a like thriving and supportive community that sort of welcome younger people into sport and sort of nurtured them in that direction so very successful with that um seemed to pick it up sort of sort of very quickly I played for my county uh, I played for my region at various age, group, age groups as well I also had trials for the national team uh, unfortunately wasn't quite good enough at the time I have also played in the women's national hockey league as well uh, in division one I was vice co- vice captain for uh, for a team um, so it's always been a, a huge part of me from a very very young age and I really believe that's what instilled this kind of we say uh, competitive nature uh, into me I'm always yeah. wanting to push myself I'm always wanting to be to be challenged uh, I'm always wanting to perform at the same time as well. So I guess what led me from from team sport into individual sport, some mishmash happened in between where I was at university studying for my nursing degree, had to give up the hockey. So turn my hand to something else. I was mis- missing that sort of physical aspect uh, within my life to so sort of, you know, keep me feeling well, but at the same time, help me sort of manage stresses, manage different pressures as well at the same time. And I think when you've done something from such a very young age that it becomes such a big part of you really. So I found yeah. the gym. <laughs> so I kind of kind of used that, you know, as as a lot of people did, watched how to do things on video, watched a couple of the people in the gym, probably very bad at the time. And then I eventually joined a a proper gym and started to get proper coaching, uh, be around people that are very serious about their own training uh, and their own goals. And that's how I met my current current coach now with probably four or five years and I know both have Mm -hmm. the same coach at the moment for training uh that's Dan Reeve we do and I guess (laughs) we do what a guy and that really led me down the path of moving into individual sport because it was at a time in my life where I was felt like there was some sort of element missing to me and I think I was missing that competitive nature and and that sort of physical thing where I could really sort of push myself work towards a goal work towards a program see myself get better and also test myself at the same time so I was always inspired by the way that I saw Dan train within the gym because uh, as you're probably aware and as probably some of the listeners are very aware that strong woman or or strongman training is it's it's very very broad uh, it's not just lifting the heaviest weight it's how mm. many reps you can do at a given weight it's also moving with heavy weight it's lifting pulling pushing awkward objects and all of that in between so it really sort of caught my attention so I had a couple of chats with Dan and I said to him you know I want to to find something where I can really uh, apply myself and reach some sort of potential uh, within myself and sort of you know, while that was going on at the same time, I also transitioned into being a coach myself at the same time. Um, and I've been coaching for five years now. Wow, that's quite a story. 
I'm really, yeah, yeah, it's really impressive. <laughs> it, it's as it's as brief of, as I can literally make it. There's, there's a fair few things in between. Uh, fairly sort of serial career hopper, should we say? <laughs> this is yeah. probably my like <laughs> maybe third or fourth attempt at. Uh, finding something that I sort of really love and enjoy and I'm passionate about. I've done everything from uh, a job in civil engineering and support work as well. I've got a degree in nursing. I worked as a nurse for four or five years and I am now a coach and I'm staying with it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm interested to hear. Yeah, I think uh, I think you've found your your path now. Um, On that note, how have all those other jobs contributed to the coach that you are today because I find that there must be some universal skills I have a specific question on the nurse to coach transition but how have all the other roles you know being you know in a hockey team and then being a civil engineer for example how have they contributed to your coaching style today really interesting really interesting question because I would say that from the uh, from the nursing aspect, I can certainly choose elements from that, whether it's biology, uh, pharmacology, interpersonal skills, which has been super important in the job that I do now, uh, being able to build relationships with people and also really understanding ill health and disease processes and really sort of, of where they can drastically get to if we don't really prevent you know prevent those things happening through solid lifestyle um, nutrition uh, movement and improving people's knowledge I think when it comes to the perhaps the civil engineering aspect of it it's probably you know having a good attention having a good attention to detail and being able to look at data and and focus on those aspects really but I guess uh, most of it has just really shaped me into the person uh, that I am today you know through my own choices and and tackling challenges along the way and, and transitioning through through change almost and what I guess clients will also uh, transition through you know looking to change their habits looking to change their lifestyle so you know there are transferable aspects from that if that makes sense <laughs> 100% I feel like there must be a lot of transferable aspects based on what you said I mean like you said with the engineering like data within health and fitness especially the performance element of it is really really valuable both from you know how much weight you're lifting in the gym and then tracking things like body composition and body weight and then you look at like you said you have a very clear view of where not taking care of your health fitness can lead you eventually right through Mm -hmm. what you would have seen when you know diseases get worse and worse and worse and you probably see a lot of unhealthy people whether it's through you know lack of them taking care of their health or even just unfortunate circumstances where their health is just put in a poor position so i think that's actually really valuable and then the final aspect in terms of the life changes like you know that's what you probably noticed with uh clients as well it's like we're not just looking at your training and nutrition we're looking at it's very all-encompassing right if you're going through big changes in your life and yeah and your stress is all over the place and everything along those lines that fundamentally changes the way that we have to coach you so you going through all those changes as well it's good that you've got that ability to relate and resonate with people who might be going through a lot of those things, which is inevitable in the frame of life, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, as part of my personal, my personal training business, I work with a lot of general population clients, right? So 
a lot of those people are also nine to five based. They work in an office. They sit down a lot. You know, they are, mm-hmm. they are also, they're short on time. They have challenges of the environments that they work in that are not always conducive towards their goals and trying to get people to build solid habits in that environment. So having sort of lived through that myself for a couple of years uh, in early days of my career, I can I can really, you know, A, empathize with people and B, I, I've been there for myself. You know, when, you know, you sat at your desk at someone's birthday and you're almost getting donuts thrown at you, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you've also got that, social, <laughs> you've got that social pressure as well as wanting to have those things where, where perhaps it doesn't really fit in with your uh, current health and lifestyle goals. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a donut, but just, you know, sort of to put that in a little bit of context. A hundred percent. That's really good. And um, something that I had a struggle with in the initial stages is that I spent a couple of years in, you know, other jobs prior to personal training, but I've pretty much done it my entire career. So I never got the vibe of what an office environment is like, where literally no one, potentially in that office apart from you, has any consciousness or cognizance of their health and fitness. You are literally the one trying to break the mold, um, you know, trying to avoid the donuts and cakes. And everyone's like, what are you doing? And you are the minority. So yeah, it was something that I had to initially get my head around. So I think it's really valuable that you've literally been in that. So like you said, you can A, empathize, but you can also say, hey, you know, I've been there and I've been able to manage it. So, so can you, right? Yeah, definitely. And I'll often uh, pull on those experiences uh, or remind myself at least what it what it was like to be in that situation at the time. I mean, I was from the ages of sort of 18 um, to 21 when I became a little bit more conscious of my own choices and my own health and fitness and started to look look at my own nutrition a little bit. And, you know, I can really empathize with people, especially when people are like, why are you eating that? What are you eating that for? What are you doing? You know, and and because it is so different people get really inquisitive sometimes from a positive mm-hmm. point of view but sometimes from a alien alienating you uh, point of view at the same time and, it, and it's often things sometimes clients will relay back to me at the same time as well and, and ask me how, how sort of best to manage it but yeah totally yeah absolutely and based on both of us working with mainly general population clients who have you know those office-based jobs and everything along those lines that's something i hear all the time right it's that there's usually this little bit of intrigue and interest in the initial stages which is nice and it's welcome but after a while like you said it can be alienating too so that's one that they have to learn to uh, navigate essentially like so it's really helpful that you've been through that and you can actually help them through it as well so coming on to the coach transition obviously that was from mm-hmm. being a nurse and going to a coach mm-hmm. and i'm really intrigued by this because of if you were to ask someone you know what's the more quote unquote impactful job right someone you know someone in healthcare or a you know let's say a health and fitness professional i think most people would say the nurses and mm-hmm. you know i i'm not going to say which is more valuable than another i i don't believe that's worth comparing i think they're both really really admirable careers to go down however i'm interested to know what your thoughts are on that from someone who was in healthcare which people would perceive to be like the most impactful the most uh, biggest changes on people's life to going into health and fitness and how you feel you make impact today compared to the impact, the type of impact you made when you were in nursing? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. It's quite funny. People, people never really, even when I transitioned over into coaching, they never really questioned the decision or sort of question why I was, why I was doing it in that way, which again, you may think that nursing is 
you know, either either more important or, or fulfilling in some way. But for me, once I qualified as a nurse, I began working in uh, cardiac intensive care, which was an absolutely amazing job. You know, I was mm-hmm. I was caring for people that had had cardiac surgery. So whether it was a heart bypass or sort of valve replacements, even some patients had had heart transplant. Wow. Also people with specific lung conditions um, that they'd either have to have parts of the lobe removed or again, transplants or some sort of thoracic surgery. So it was it was a very fulfilling job in a sense that, you know, you would get these people back from surgery, you would wake them up, you would look after them. The, the next mm. day you would be with the same patient, you would get them on their feet when you've literally been walked around on this trolley with all of these equipment and this machine around them. I guess in um, some ways there might be a chance that they might not be coming back from the surgery, right? On the premise that not all of these are going to be guaranteed success, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, obviously very, very high pressure, extremely... Uh, extremely stressful uh, position to be in and an awful lot of responsibility um, Mm -hmm. as an individual and a newly qualified nurse getting these people that have come round from this surgery and trying to care for them in the best way possible obviously under the guidance of a medical team uh, and making sure that they can really have the best opportunity at recovering uh, as best they can and that was often get them away get them breathing get them on their feet as quickly as possible and, and help them to manage pain so I think for me there was certain aspects of it that were very fulfilling especially especially that as I alluded to before for me incredibly incredibly stressful uh, mm-hmm. an awful lot of responsibility and to tie into that there was a lot of shift work there was a lot of other continuing professional development to do a lot alongside that as well a lot of training courses to go on and really the the tipping point for me was that my my own health and fitness had become so compromised and specifically you know my own health I wasn't Mm -hmm. really feeling like myself anymore and it was literally down to the nature of the shift work and the and literally the stress I was under that I just I just ended up getting in a mess if I'm honest and then me being me I always try to (laughs) help myself the best I can um Mm -hmm. uh, with what with what I knew at the time and and with my own uh, interest in health and fitness would do sort of further reading uh, speak to different people to try and get myself back on back on track. I mean, sleep was all over the place. You know yourself, the common signs of stress that people are under, poor digestion, bad sleep, getting injured, yep. getting niggles and knocks all of the time, and generally just just not feeling happy within myself. So although aspects of it were incredibly fulfilling, very, very important, the amount of stress that it was carrying for me was just way too detrimental on myself and my relationships and, and all of that business. So it just really made me take a step back uh, and and have a think what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I guess I learned from that that I love helping people, I love working with people and I really want to prevent people getting, you know, sometimes avoidably, sometimes unavoidably getting into these situations where they're sort of older in age or, or sometimes mm-hmm. not a little bit younger and it's due to often lifestyle choices that have unfortunately led them uh, led them to ill health so that what got me that's what got me interested in coaching because I thought hmm I can probably help people here uh, in my own way with you know lifestyle measures before medicine needs to intervene um, mm-hmm. etc that's super interesting I, I like that aspect as well because of when you're meeting someone in a hospital bed right it's like you probably had a lot of thoughts to yourself when you're making that transition i wonder how many people would a not need to be here if they did look after their lifestyle don't get me wrong there are some situations where it's unavoidable but i would 
argue that a lot of it is avoidable. But also the other aspect is how quickly can these people be back on their feet again? How quickly can they be back in full health if they took care of their health and wellness in the first place because they'd be in a much mm-hmm. better position to recover, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it was really through um, exploring some of my own uh, lifestyle choices uh, and habits as a, a product of, of going through that stressful period that I really started to see how probably what we perceive earlier is maybe smaller changes that mm-hmm. you can make that can make such a big difference over time once you are once you are able to change that habit and how much better you can you can feel and help yourself to feel so yeah yeah just quickly on that what were the changes that you decided to make because you mentioned you got yourself into a bit of a mess so you're definitely not a mess right now right compared to where (laughs) you were so your your health and wellness is in a very good place so I'm keen to hear like what did that transition look like so I think that'd be quite valuable for someone who's maybe in the same position that you were then um so it was it was trying to do everything all of the time, essentially. So it would be it'd be shift working. So it will be doing uh, sort of four night shifts back to back. Sorry, seven or eight p.m. till around seven a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. It was trying to do my own training at the same time. Um, it was trying to have a social life, and it was really the I was almost just adding adding stress onto myself all of the time without realizing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I started to understand stress a little better that I started to pull back on, you know, start forcing yourself into a specific training. So, so stop trying to do stuff that's so high intensity, uh, because you're just, just adding stress into it, not being, I never really handled the, the night shift, the night shift pattern very well. I I wasn't able to flip back from going on to nights to going on to daytime very well Mm. at the same time. Um, I don't know how people do it. Once I, um, I was able to manage it to a certain extent to the best that I could given the circumstances, because I couldn't really get get away from the shift work you know it's part of my job it's part of my application occupation it's what I signed up to do you know I'm under no illusion that this was a a choice at the time you know very much a vocational choice at the time um Mm -hmm. so it was really starting to understand stress and stress management a little better I think the big one was taking care of my sleep making sure I got enough rest making sure I got enough recovery making sure I was eating foods that sat well with me making sure that my digestion was good by just really listening and learning to myself and understanding what worked well for me and what didn't work so well for me and you know we're forever evolving aren't we as human beings and absolutely it's a it's a constant process of evolution like even now we could, we're just so dynamic and we change all of the time that it's i guess a constant evaluation of what's going on but the best the biggest thing for me was understanding how to to manage stress a little bit better and you know, it's still something that needs taken care of <laughs> time to time. Um, totally. But yeah, but it was it was really just honing in on nutrition, um, lifestyle, um, uh, and stress management. That's beautiful. I think that's a really great place for everyone to start because of it can seem like okay, well, I need to get into the gym more. I need to do more cardio, and I need to do all this type of stuff. But the reality is, it's like okay, let's start with things from a general health perspective and then let's start building on top, right? And I think what's interesting that you mentioned is that you needed to reduce the amount of high-intensity training you're doing. And what I find funny about most people who are having the hectic jobs that, or even vocations that they choose is that they lean towards these high intensity spin classes, these hit classes, and, you know, this heavy, like 
smash you into a wall type training mm. styles when that's actually the opposite of what they need because of their life is just so stressed, 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 but it's because it's what they're used to. And it's what yeah. they think, okay, you know what, this, you know, fits in with my lifestyle because this is the way I live when the reality is like, Hey dude, you could probably do a little bit more yoga, you know? <laughs> no, absolutely. It's almost, almost people get into the cycle of, of chasing this fatigue, you know? Yeah, exactly that. And it's really, really interesting to see. And um, you try to make them slow down a little bit and they're not having it. You know, they want to be in that 6 a.m. spin class where they're getting shouted at by the instructor. And then, you know, it's either that or they crash on the floor. It's like, there's no in between there. So I find it really interesting, especially with when I was working in London, it was like exacerbated. I'm sure it's the same, you know, um, you're in Manchester, right? Yeah. Bit, bit. Yeah. Which, which I consider to be like a second London. So it's probably very similar over there as well in that sense but it's really interesting so you brushed over the whole getting into the strong woman stuff and you know you you kind of just didn't give us anything there but tell me about (laughs) your experience of strong woman because I think you're underselling yourself a little bit here (laughs) well what do you want to know (laughs) um so my my first experience of strong woman was November or December 2017, I took part in Lincoln's Strongest Woman. It's actually not too far from my hometown, but mm-hmm. it just felt that the timing was right. Uh, I'd started coaching with Dan and, you know, I think it was something like nine or 12 weeks away. So a really good time point to do a, a good a good few uh, phases of strength training um, sure. and to give me a taste for what it was like because ultimately as with anything when we go into something for the first time we might think we like it but in reality when we are when we are there when we are doing that thing do we enjoy it what do we what do we take from it what did we learn what did we not like about it 100% so obviously we are now in 2021 and i think i I think when I competed in August, it was my ninth competition over the the past sort of crazy, crazy four years with some sort of big gap thrown into the middle where we couldn't compete because of, of, course, yeah. because of obvious because of obvious reasons. And mm-hmm. that was really my taste back into uh, competitive sport and a real good taste of uh, of what you can really gain from a solid block of training in terms of in terms of strength and performance if you apply yourself to it. So in 2018, I competed in England's Strongest Woman. I won that at my respective weight category at under 65 kilos. Mm-hmm. I then competed in Britain's and Worlds in the same year and came third in those. And then following year, uh, won England's Strongest Woman again, which was... I mean, the first time I won it, I was like, how? <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> so, so for me, um, uh, competing, competing at it for the second time, it, it really meant a lot and was really reaffirming to, to win for a second time. In that year, I then placed slightly higher, came second in Britain's Strongest Woman and again placed third at World's Strongest Woman. So that was all at that under 65 kilo respective weight class. And then this year I uh, moved up to the uh, under 75 weight class and, and had mm-hmm. a go at that just to make life even harder. Yeah, let's just <laughs> stop right there and acknowledge the fact that you are Britain's strongest woman uh, yes under 65 category respectively but still you know you are able to transition from like you said in your own words being in a mess to being Britain's strongest woman twice and like you said the first time it might have caught you by surprise but the second time it's definitely not a fluke there it's actually genuinely down to talent and determination and hard work so that's pretty impressive what was what did it take to become Britain's strongest woman at the under 65 category 
Well, let me try and choose the most important thing because there are many, many aspects to this. Um, yeah, give us the uh, straight to the like straight to the point for like first principle. Relentless consistency. Oh, you're speaking my <laughs> <Showing> language. Up, <laughs> literally showing up, rain or shine, not in the mood, in the mood, not going well, going well, regardless of what is going on. Four or five sessions per week in that prep, they they pretty much got done most most of the time. Obviously, there's times we don't always want to show up to be show up to training. There's reasons why we perhaps shouldn't at times. And it's really understanding mm-hmm. at those times, is it just a feeling and I need to show up and get the work done? Or is it a mm-hmm. legitimate thing where I do actually need to pull back here because of X, Y, and Z? Something is going on. I've got an injury that's brewing or I need to back off to be able to push forward again, uh, for example. But, you know, it, it's not in the early days, it's not really something that you can probably truly understand yourself. And that's why it's it's so good to have a coach just to to bounce ideas off and for that mm-hmm. accountability uh, accountability at the same time as well and ultimately for me I my mindset is that if I don't show up to a competition day knowing that I've done everything that I can that I'm going to be doing myself an injustice so for, for me that's like a huge driving force it's you mm-hmm. know it, it is very much it's, it is do the work <laughs> yeah no I completely can resonate with that and our mentality around things like that is hundred percent true. And you made a good point. You literally took the words out of my mouth when you, you mentioned that sometimes you do need to take a step back, but realistically in the early stages, you can't, even if you are so well tuned with your body, just that lack of experience, it's really hard to know whether it's your emotions talking or whether it's uh-huh. really something that's actually you know, true. Like I, to this day, I I can now judge whether it's my emotions or whether, you know, something's coming along. And I think even with the experience, and you might find this as well, we still skew to one side when it's ourselves because of mm-hmm. like, you're either on the side of, I give myself too much of an easy time. And it also could depend on the phase of life you're in, or you're probably on the side that I'm assuming you are on. And I am on, it's like, stop being, you know, stop being a little bit of a baby and just get yourself in the gym, you know? So like that tends to be the way. And um, only with a coach, and I bet from your perspective, when you're coaching people, it's so much easier to be rational, right? Because you get this bird's eye perspective. Whereas you just, even with all the experience you have, it's really, really hard to have that with your own training because your emotions will always come into play. Yeah, no, exactly. And I've spoken to some colleagues about this before. And, you know, we all have these blind spots. It's like driving, you know, we have that blind spot to the rear. And it's the same for any sort of decision making, I guess. And ultimately, a decision should come from you. But I think it's very, very important to have somebody that you trust and that knows you very well and that knows the either the goal you have or or in my case with Dan the sport very well to mm-hmm. to be able to to soundboard off you know at the same time and and I think that's that's super important because we're not like you said sometimes if emotions can take over or, or various things then we're not able to see those blind spots and also as a coach from the outside looking into somebody's per- personal life and circumstances you can you can very much see all of this going on and it's interesting that <laughs> probably for you as well that you you receive that and you also give that at the same time so um it, it's quite a cool position to be in actually because you can really you can really help people um and and steer them in a better direction if you, you know if they if they're not able to see what's going on 100% and that's why 
coaching is valuable and that's also why coaches need coaches, right? It's like you will always oh, yeah. have those blind spots. I don't know many people. I, I'm sure I'm not really sure if I know anyone who is able to have this full unbiased cold and calculated view of themselves where they never let emotions or circumstances come into play. I think it's just the nature of being a human being. There might be a few people mm-hmm. out there like, you know, David Goggins, for example, but you know, he could probably even, uh, you know, value from a coach to take more recovery days. Right. So, you know, yeah. even if you are more you know hard on yourself, like that's not always the route forward. So yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point to go through. And then coming on to the aspect of you transitioning weight classes, which which is a big deal, right? Like you're now having to mm. lift heavier weights. You're having to go up against women who are much heavier than you initially. I'm not sure how much mm-hmm. weight you gained, but you can let me know in a second. So I'm keen yeah. to hear why is it that you didn't decide to, okay, I'm really good at under 65s. Let me dominate this category and not give anyone a chance. Let me get up on the podium first place every year because I know I've got this. You've decided mm. to leave that behind and basically accept that I'm probably not going to be first place. Um, how did you do that? Because I know a lot of people would have just said, I'm going to say where I'm winning, basically. But you decided to do the opposite and go and make things harder for yourself. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> it all it comes down to seeking that discomfort, if I'm honest, Elliot, because, you know, you can stay in a bubble, <laughs> whether it's in a weight class or whether it's in a sport or whether it's in mm-hmm. a job or anything like that. And it can uh-huh. feel very safe. Uh, you can do well. You know, you can be a bigger fish. Uh, you can be a bigger fish in that pond, um, so to speak. But for me, the uh, the overarching goal was to always be better, always be stronger, always perform at my best and I didn't want a a weight class to to cloud me or to limit me in that way whatsoever even subconsciously okay so sure. you're going into a competition you know that for the overhead for the deadlift and for all these specific events you you know what weights you're going to have to live on the lift on the day and Mm-hmm. Whether that influences you or not in training, I believe sometimes subconsciously that that could perhaps limit what you're doing or, okay, I'm at competition weight already. So, okay, cool. Well, it might let you cruise into something where ordinarily if you're like, I don't know, six weeks into your prep, you've got three weeks to go and you're still 10 kilograms off, off the competition weight. That's, that's pretty scary. Do, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? And, it, and it's really that that kick up the ass that, that, that drives you to always be better. And I, I remember when I first started in Strong Woman, you know, when it was novice and when I competed really in my first competition cycle that I would show up to a competition and the weights would frighten me. Like I, uh-huh. <laughs> didn't, <laughs> I didn't know if I was going to even get a rep or if I was going to no rep or if I was going to ca- be able to even carry something from A to B. But then as time time went on, strength got better, performance got better, skill also got better. So becoming more experienced at the competition events, then 100%. I thought the years and the, and the competitions went on that they were well, these things were like well within my remit. Now, obviously, when you're sort of pushing on from Britain's to Wales, then things are the ante is upped again and again. Yeah. And then I sort sort of started to think, well, it's not really it's not really scaring me anymore. It's not giving me that uh, that uncertainty in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, cool. I know I can go to competition. I know I've done those weights before. I know I can I can do them. It doesn't mean that you're going to win the event. It doesn't mean that you're going to win the competition. But from a from a training perspective, um, from a very a process based perspective, that is that is going to drive you on. And I guess it's understanding that. And a bit more, 
what I'm learning more and more is to be is to be process based and, and not to have always have this end goal in mind or this end weight that you want to lift and and really work on the process of getting better and continuing to improve. And for me, the means to do that last last uh, sorry this year was to step up a weight category and start to have to attempt weights that are going to scare me again in the gym. I love that. I think that's amazing. And <laughs> I know I think it's brilliant because if you're hundred percent right, like if you know what you're working towards, let's say, for example, in that type of category, you can train. And like you said, you'll train in mind knowing I just need to pull this amount of weight to, and I've had this amount of success in the competition. So as long as I'm pulling in this weight, I'm good. But when there's such a vast di- like distance between the weight you're lifting and the weight that you could be lifting to get to first, just as a byproduct of pushing further and for higher weight, mm-hmm. you, you're, you're going to train harder. You're going to train to get much, much stronger. Exactly. And it's not that you're resting on your laurels because there's still a huge amount of weight. And like you said, you don't know who's going to turn up on the day. And it's also largely going to be dictated on how you perform and how you prepare for that competition. But just by having, you know, the goalposts even further, you have to travel further in order to get there, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, you know, at times I'm like, why why have you done this <laughs> what are you doing but again it's it's still good for those questions to be raised you know yeah how much weight have you gained and um from where you work because I assume you're competing like right at the top because I assume it's more beneficial to be closer to the literally on the limits and the weight end because of mass moves mass from that perspective right well, not always but it's helpful to have yeah. more in your frame right yeah, yeah, absolutely. And especially if it's, uh, especially if it's lean mass, you know, absolutely. Um, so mm-hmm. when I competed at under 65, my, what we would say, sort of walk around weight, I would be 68 to 69 kilos, for example. So I would yeah. always have to cut three or four kilos to be able to, to compete. So not only am I having to push myself in the gym, I'm having to be very conscious of my weight. And obviously, I really advocate, I really sort of push people away too much from focusing on their own number and their own scale, but mm-hmm. weight. But when it comes to a weight based category, if you don't weigh in under your weight, you ain't competing. So, no, you've got no choice, yeah, right? So, that time, <laughs> you've got no choice. The answer is no. <laughs> go either step up to the weight category above or go home. So, that is usually my walk around weight. So, I would cut weight. This year is under 75. I had in my mind, I'm going to. I'm going to eat to perform. I'm not going to unnecessarily push my food for the sake of pushing food just to gain weight and just to go weight. My, uh, my mantra was very much to fuel performance. If I needed to eat more at specific times, I would eat, I would eat more at specific times to help me recover. So when I did England's strongest woman at under 75 this year, I weighed in at 67 and a half kilos competing in the under 75 kilo category then at Britain's I think I was something like a kilogram like a kilogram and a half heavier or something like that again but that wasn't a deliberate weight push that was very much a strategy of uh, a fueling performance and recovery yeah no you've still got room to grow into that category as well right <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, it's probably, it was the first time that I had competed without having to make to make weight so I could I could literally just you know cruise into that I could stand there probably with my kit bag on and still weigh in at like under 70 under 75 kilo so um to, to, to not have that there as well was kind of less of the mental aspect running into the competition as well yeah, I was going to say, I must fuel you so well from a lack of stress perspective, right? Literally just stepping on the scales the night before and just being like, I could wake up three, four kilos heavier tomorrow and still be able to compete in this, right? Like it must be nice to yeah. eat into. I mean, I have a very brief history in bodybuilding as well. And it's always nice to be able to eat into a show than mm-hmm. to have to literally diet into the final day and just try to, you're still literally trying to cut fat up until that final moment. There's so much difference in terms of the way that you turn up, your confidence, your sleep, your just general stress. Like you're always going to be stressing about the event, but just knowing that that box is checked is, is a huge, huge uh, weight to lift mentally. I think for me, competing at under 65 kilo, um, it was never an option. I just always had to make weight and I just had to deal with it. And then I would have two hours before I had to start competing again. So I'd have to just refuel, rehydrate the best I can. And once you get in that zone, it's not even a thought in your mind what you've had to go through the week prior to make sure that you you make weight, whether it's changing your carbohydrate intake, whether it's ch- changing your, your, your water intake or changing any sort of specific foods that you're eating, like lower fiber foods to reduce use good content to, to manipulate your, your weight in that way, just to make sure you hit this number on the day. All that is in the past and behind you and you just get on with a task at hand. Can I say whether it affected my performance or not at under 65 kilo? I won't, I would never really, really know because it's a different process every time, but for sure there's less of, a, of that mental burden this time. So yeah, I was like, as an observer, I would have to say that it must have a slight physiological impact, which makes yeah. it even more impressive that you came first and you performed so well, right? Like mm-hmm. if there, if you were able to eat into the 65 kilo category, I think that that would be even, yeah, even more that your performance would yeah. be even more superior. So I, I have to say, and I'm sure that you're again, being modest, I'm sure it does make a physiological impact because of it's a lot of weight to cut in the course of a couple of weeks or so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, um, that's a good place. That leaves us in a good place. Um, and it's really interesting to hear us because if on this show, usually I try to go through a nutrition, a training and a mindset question. I try to base mm-hmm. it around the guest's expertise. And we're going to kind of transition into that one. And I want to start with the training aspect and getting both females and males to commit to improvement phases, you know, when they're not focusing on the scale weight, when they're not focusing on how their abs look is probably one of the hardest things we have to do as coaches. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most of our clients, they want to build muscle. They want to be in a better place with their physique, but they struggle to commit to the long-term gaining phases. So Mm -hmm. for you, I know that you still have done photo shoots and I know that there is probably still a little bit of an eye on aesthetics, but your, your primary focus is performance. How did you personally make that switch? And what advice would you give to the listeners who are keen to, you know, build their physique, go into sports, but they can't stop obsessing with the aesthetic side of things? I guess for me, it was, I've done, I've done a couple of photo shoots in the past. The very first one that I did was really post that phase was, the game changer for me when I decided to turn my hand to 
getting stronger and performing in the gym. And I very sort of quickly learned and, and also from the great minds around me that if you want to gr- get stronger, if you want to build more lean mass, then you, you have to eat to perform. You have to fuel to perform and you also have to recover uh, at the same time. And, you know, sitting in a, sitting in a calorie, a perma calorie deficit is, is going to do you no favors at all in the long term. And it is really, really hard to encourage people to to have that mindset because I firmly believe a lot of decisions that we make come from our experiences of it. And until we try something else uh, and see the benefits of that is really... <sighs> Is really where we're able to make those more informed choices, right? So if if you have somebody, it's kind of supporting them and encourage them to at least dip their toes into the water to what this this different approach to nutrition or training may look like under your uh, under your guidance. And you know, it is super challenging in terms of the the media, the content around us, the the internet access people people have these days, and and. Uh, the the good and the poor information that they take from it to, to inform their decisions you know even though that you are there you are there to coach them but it's really uh, making sure that they switch their goals if that's what you know switch their goals up if that's what they want to do so if you know if they've gone through something of a fat loss phase and then they want to improve specific areas of the body it's like okay let's get stronger in these areas let's get stronger in these movements let's incrementally build your calories up over time whilst keeping track of of all those variables which you know which tell us how performance is going how scale weight is going you know circumference measurements photos at the same time and also more qualitative factors in terms of well how do you feel now like how much more enjoyable is mm-hmm. your training are you getting more from your training um at the same time because uh, we like feedback as humans don't we we like likes yeah. <laughs> we like scale weights <laughs> we like stuff like that so it is trying to yeah those those things are important important not so much the likes but yeah the data that we take <laughs> from the scale weight but also it, it's looking at the other factors as well so as well you know does that help me to live a more how do we say fruitful life can i enjoy myself a little bit better with friends and family now I've switched my goals to strengthen strength and performance you know it'll allow me to eat a bit more a bit more food it allow me to push to push more food enjoy these occasions a little bit more rather than living in this calorie deficit but of course it does take time and some people it, it takes more time than others to to transition over yeah I couldn't agree more and that reflection I think is really important it's like okay you may not be able to pull up your shirt and see the lines in your midsection but think about how much you can eat now think about how much of a better mood you are think about you know the quality of life you have and you know you're not having to worry about the scale weight or tracking your macros for example like I think yeah like you said it, it just requires that shift to what you now have versus what you had before and wishing you were were there because of when you were there, you know, you might have looked great, but you were suffering in other ways, right? Your cardio was way higher than you probably wanted it to be. Your calories were lower than they wanted it to be. So yeah, I think that switch is key. So what would you say to the person who's just starting to see those lines fade in their midsection? You know, they're a little bit larger than what they would consider comfortable. How do you get them through that psychologically? Like even if they're seeing my, my gym numbers are going up, I am enjoying life, but I am really just struggling to be the heaviest I've ever been, which I think is definitely the case with men and potentially even more the case for females as well. So I would, I would remind them of what their, of what their goal is. 
always come back to the reason why you are doing, you know, the reason why you are doing something ultimately. We all know that scale weight doesn't define us. It doesn't make us a better human being than another human being um, or, or anything like that. And it's a case of, um, how do you put it? Just uh, reassurance, like reassurance and mm-hmm. support and just and just saying to them as well that, you know, this you know, this is temporary. There's go- there's going to be a time where yeah, you may have a holiday coming up. We may have something like that. And if you want to improve the way you look and your condition, yes, you can, you can go back and you can do that at the same time. But in order for you to push forward with your current goal, whether it's getting stronger, whether it's in- improving your lean mass, then we need to be in more of a calorie surplus. Yes, we want to minimize any, any body fat that is gained, but at the same time, it is somewhat reversible, but we do have to creep into that a little bit if we want to make those overall improvements. And it's again trying to in- encourage people to think of the uh, of the longer of the longer term and, and not just looking at what's in front of them in the mirror um, or on the scales. And it's not, you know, it's not easy. It can be a very sort of aesthetic world that we live in, uh, unfortunately. But yeah, we can. I think you know the best that you can do as a coach is be to be there to support, be there to sound board remind people of of why they are doing what they are doing and it does it does not define them yeah i completely agree and like you said earlier it just comes back to trying to focus on the process more so than anything right and if you can get your head around focusing on doing the work versus what the outcome is going to be and you just say okay i've got four training sessions these are my calories on a day-to-day basis i'm going to do that and i'm going to enjoy my life at the same time and then when it comes around to time to up the end or cut down again, then maybe I do, you know, want to be a little bit more results driven. But I think that, yeah, spending the majority of time in the process can be really, really helpful. And what type of metrics do you think are most valuable for people to be taking a look at during the process of gaining or focusing less on aesthetics and more on body improvements and uh, their improvement phases? Yeah, I think, uh, I think of course, the number driven, you know, the data, the quantitative data that you can look at at the same time. So yes, scale, scale weight is important, but, you know, you might want to look at depending on the type of client that you've got, the, the frequency of which they are taking their scale weight at the same time, because some people like to do it daily um, because they like to look at the trends. You can then look at average weight across the week, across the month, across a training block, for example, which is fantastic from a coaching point of view because we like data. We like to see those trends. But again, if somebody is getting on the scales every morning and then it's literally dictating the way they feel and how they think about themselves for the whole day, then you've, you know, you've got to ask yourself and have that conversation with the client that it may, may or not be appropriate then for, for them to do this at the moment. And it may be that it's something that reduces down. Another good yeah. one from the data point of view is circumference measurements, hips, waist, bust, legs, arms, as especially mm-hmm. if you know they they are specific areas that male or female that that they want to that what they want to improve because you know if you see those areas that you're wanting to improve incrementally get better whether it's the hip circumference for a female if they want to improve their glutes for example uh, whether it is the bust measurement whether it's they want to get a bigger a big, bigger and a stronger back at the same time it can also take in the waist measurement for sure can let you know what is going on from a body composition point of view and then obviously the visuals as well progress photos you know, sometimes it might be a case of that people see themselves every day so they don't necessarily see the subtle changes and the subtle mm-hmm. improvements. Whereas again, going back to that that blind spot aspect of a coach, you can you can look at somebody's photos and 
see those improvements and you can point them point them out to people right you can show them where they've made the improvements also let you keep an eye on body composition and then also as I spoke about before qualitative qualitative aspects as well so mm-hmm. um, now I've increased my food and my calorie intake am I sleeping better is stress actually better managed am I am I recovering better at the same time as you said Elliot is mood getting better you know, am I happier? Do I feel more freedom that I'm able to enjoy more social occasions? And that is by default improving my food, uh, making me happier and also build better connections with people. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And um, it should be more about, you know, health and fitness should contribute to your life and not take away from it. And you're probably a good example of this because of your sport is, you know, incredibly important, right? It's like, you don't want to go there, not be able to move those weights. And then mm-hmm. we bear in mind that a lot of people will sacrifice the quality of their life. And it's literally just for their midsection that no one's going to yeah. see apart from seven days on the beach in, in a year. Right. And you just have to ask yourself, is it really worth it? Um, mm-hmm. And most of the time it's not, you know, and I mean, I'm very big on people being in the shape of their life and being exactly in the body composition they want to be, but we need to really ask ourselves, okay, what's more important. And especially for a sustainability and longevity perspective as well. Like you can get away with that for a little while. I know I did personally, I've, I stayed mm-hmm. lean for a long time, but my quality of life is 10 times better. And I'm succeeding in my, many more different avenues of life now that I'm not so fixated on having abs all the time. Yeah, exactly. And it frees up a lot of sort of mental bandwidth for people mm-hmm. at the same time. So instead of hyper-focusing on the on those elements, then if you can sort of slowly move away from that, habit of, of thinking about that and, and letting it dictate your every move then you you really live a much a much freer life but again the challenge from a coaching point of view is uh, leading people in the direction where they can uh, get a taste for that and, ex- and experience that so that they know what that feels like and then they can continue forward uh, within that direction and I, I, I kind of think that from my perspective the coach that's the best way to help people to to change in that direction is to is to get them to to feel a, a little bit or experience a little bit of what it could be like moving forward just to help them with their their long-term goals yeah absolutely I've had people who have recently tried to get back into dieting phases just because they're like got a birthday coming up up, got a holiday coming up and they're actually like you know what i'm okay with being maybe one or two kilos heavier than uh than i than i was before because of actually i feel better i'm still feeling pretty confident i'm still way leaner and healthier than i was before but like you like you said they've had a taste of what life can feel like when they're not striving to be super lean all the time so i think like you said giving that people that uh, example and uh giving them a taste of it is the most powerful aspect and transitioning into the nutrition so i have a good question on how you use nutrition for performance i know that we both know uh, someone you're working with at the moment and she is eating the most she's ever eaten. She's the strongest she's ever been. She's the leanest whilst being as strong as she's ever been like thriving in the process that she's in. And I think it's taken her back a little bit that she's able to eat so much and, you know, get super strong. And, you know, for some reason, this is the first time she's been able to eat so much and not gain any weight. So how are you specifically using people's nutrition to allow them to get strong, but keep their body composition in a good place and almost make it like an effortless process when it comes to the muscle building phase, but without the necessary, unnecessary, sorry, fat gain that comes along with it? I guess, uh, I guess from a coaching point of view that you'll know yourself that, Okay, there's there's a lot of science behind what we can do, but there's also a lot that that we don't know at the same time. And 
whenever we set somebody up on whether it's a strength and performance phase, whether it is a, a sort of lean lean mass phase, that everywhere we start is very much a theoretical, educated start point. But everybody mm-hmm. is so different. I agree. Not only from their biology, the way they uh, process, digest, assimilate food at the same time. So it's a case of we have to start somewhere with people, establish some sort of baseline, go through a first couple of weeks. I tend to do 10 to 14 days with somebody when I when I set them up before I will look to even make any changes. And, and that also has to come off the back of a lot of consistency because otherwise we're changing and we're moving things and it's not gonna have it's not gonna have the the effect that we want to have. And it's really having that conversation with with clients at the very, very start. The the importance of that to be able to then make changes if we need to up and down to be able to then push forward. But a lot of it comes down down to, uh, I think, client trust as well, because if you're looking to increase and push somebody's food and they're thinking, oh, you know, what the hell's going on? Like, I've never eaten this much before. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get fat. And I'm like, OK, let, let's just try it for this 10 to 14 days, for example, or let's or let's try it for this time period, because then the client feels rest assured. OK, well, I'm going to give it a go for this aspect and then see what happens as we go along and then they will buy into the process a little bit more and the more and more I go on as a coach I think I know and I think I understand that sort of psychology and behavior are the driving force be- behind everything that we do really the, the success or not of mm-hmm. uh, of any decision we make or, or any support we we give our client but it really is is gaining that trust with them and then really slowly slowly building slowly building on that giving them confidence within the process at the same time that look you know if we increase food you start lifting more in the gym you start actually you're worried about composition but actually you're training very hard you're pushing food at the same time and body composition will actually take care of itself to a certain extent okay obviously if we push too far then we can you know then we can we can overdo it but but on the whole that you know if we're driving training volume and intensity at the same time that we can we can tailor our nutrition to those um, specific phases of training yeah i think you made a great point there in the client trust aspect and i think that's probably the biggest driving force is that if someone isn't adherent then it doesn't matter what you're going to do with them it's you know you're not going to get the desired result and their baseline is naturally going to have to be lower in terms of the calories they're consuming or they're going to have the consequence of gaining unnecessary body fat right and i have um a bit of a harsh truth hypothesis that part okay. of the reason why people i wonder what your thoughts are on this that most <laughs> people will gain maybe too much body weight during a gaining phase because they're not training hard enough yeah, yeah, absolutely. Potentially, or they are, uh, or their activity levels are sneakily dropping somewhere else. Like, yeah, getting point. lazier. They're getting lazier with their data day to day activity. Maybe by choice. Maybe not by choice. Maybe by uh, environment or circumstance change or something like that. And they're not actually realizing, or they will. Um, they will be making decisions around nutrition and food choices that they may stop tracking a little bit more. They may start adding bits and bobs here and here. And then obviously we know over time, 
as consistency reduces down, then that's when we tend to have a little bit less control over things. And then we have to revisit the drawing board and think, okay, what is going on at the moment? What what is causing things to go in in this direction? We, We don't quite want to go in. And then obviously we need to have that conversation with clients, dig a little bit deeper as coaches and go, you know, be specific. So, you know, are you now getting the bus to work? Whereas before you were walking to work, for example, <laughs> or have you started, have you swapped the potatoes you were having for the white, for double the portion of white rice you're having, for example, are you not tracking uh-huh. certain elements of what you're doing and then really become the detective in the process and show people really maybe conscious or subconsciously perhaps decisions that are impacting uh, the results they are making or as we've discussed before lifestyle circumstance changes uh, which may which may also be having an impact yeah i think that's probably a better assessment than they're not training hard enough there's probably yeah it's usually way more components and i can see it in myself as well i know that when i'm in a fat loss phase or a you know i'm, I'm prepping for something specific then my steps are not going to fall whatsoever but when i'm not then you know i might you know skimp a little bit and just say hey i get more on the weekend so i think it can happen to us coaches as well where and again like you know okay i'm not going to really track that source anymore it doesn't really matter that much and yeah you do want to be a little bit more lenient with yourself but then if the result on the scale or the, or the mirror is undesirable then you probably like I said got to go back to the drawing board and check all those aspects so coming on to continuing with the question of nutrition so let's say someone isn't recovering super well um Mm -hmm. and potentially they are not sleeping too well as well how would you use cardio and other tools like uh, cardio and nutrition to aid their recovery and performance on the premise that most other things are in place I would, I think the first, the first thing I would focus on is sleep. Like it's, it's always such a big, important factor for me personally. And uh, my experience with, with clients at the same time. And I think if you're able to, before you even go on to the nutrition element, or if you want to use some aspects of nutrition to help people get more, more restful sleep, then it's really an area that needs investigating. So, you know, whether it's for some reason they've got into, less than optimal sleep patterns in terms of, you know, staying up later or, or, or getting up earlier in terms of duration of sleep or in terms of quality of sleep for whatever reason, then that's always a point of call I would, I would look at. And I'm sure you know yourself in terms of nutrition, there are, there are a few, there are a few things that we can, we can perhaps do that can aid restful sleep at the same time, how much they are evidence-based or not. I'm not sure of, but, you know, often in increasing mm. somebody's carbohydrate intake before before bedtime will usually have a positive impact on sleep, given that it's not, you know, too, too close to bedtime, it's digestible, and they're not going to sleep on a full stomach, for example. I would then just look at their, again, the consistency with their nutrition. So, you know, they're not recovering well. Are they are they still hitting the protein intake that they need to eat? Are they are they eating enough calories? Have calories slipped away for whatever reason because they have become uh, more busy within their life, or has appetite taken a hit, for example? So it'd be really investigating those aspects of of somebody's of somebody's life and somebody's circumstances, and really looking really looking at that because you know we 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 don't want to we don't want to push food for the sake of pushing food it's going to be a balance between you know what's going to benefit this person the most at this time yeah and also what they can manage and and physically and practically do you know there's so many considerations to make 
Yeah, it really does come down to the individual circumstance. And that's where you have to get your investigating hat on again, right? And look into all those areas. But I definitely can relate to the sleep side of things. I know that I'm not half the human I can be when I'm missing out on even just an hour or just my quality is subpar. I can notice it considerably. So I think that's always a good first point of call for absolutely everyone. And coming on to the last question, and this is something I noticed when, you know, looking at the work that you do and the posts that you're posting quite regularly, you're very, very big on downtime, right? And I think that's something that we all probably struggle with in the modern day, or, you know, we like to think that we don't need it. You know, it can, it's just not a priority or it's not productive. Whereas it looks like you take it very seriously and considering how well you perform in your athletic pursuits and the results you get with your own clients, clearly the downtime is benefiting you and it's paying off. So where did you see the need for it and how have you been able to consistently implement that downtime as well? So I don't always get it right. (laughs) In fact, I could um, probably, probably for me, I can still do even better with this, but I think on a personal level for somebody that works in a gym, works with clients all day long, own training, Uh all very much based within a gym environment that can, you can have too much of a good thing, right? You know, you can love it. You can enjoy it. You can live and breathe it. But Mm -hmm. again, you need time, you need time away from that at the same time, just for that mental headspace and that rest and recovery. And to also allow you to have that extra bandwidth to focus on other aspects of your, of your life, whether it's your relationships, um, whether it's family life, whether it's downtime, away from away from work so you can make improvements to the home even focus on other aspects of uh, personal developments um Mm -hmm. as well and i mean you know there is a time and a place for it i'm not i'm not going to lie if i'm deep into a a competition prep there's no way i can take a day off training because it's it's what's the biggest thing at the moment but you know very much me for now transitioning out of a competitive season into more of an off season um, and also wanting to focus on other aspects of aspects of life that I will prioritize that, prioritize that even more. And I do prior prioritize it in the competitive season, uh, giving sort of training schedule um, allowed at the same time. And I think, you know, for me, uh, getting, getting outdoors is hugely important. Just breathing. I find I'm more creative when I'm outside. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just generally brighter. Like I tend to have more ideas when I'm, I'm not in the home or, or I'm not in the city or I'm not in the gym. I, you know, when I'm, if I'm outside, yeah. we're just walking the dog. And I think we, we often just get caught up in a more is better mindset and it can, it can be sometimes to an extent, but not all of the time. Um, if it's having a, a detriment, a detriment to what, to what you are doing and it's understanding and realizing when to put the brakes on before crash and burn, <laughs> which yeah. is, which is, the, which is, you know, something which, which still challenges me now. And again, it, it's really becoming in tune with yourself and understanding the signs and signals of when you need to take a rest or to predict when you might need to take a rest so that you prevent that ultimate burnout and that ultimate crash and burn if you can do. Sure, circumstances don't always allow you to do that um, and you do have to push through. But yeah, if you can and you are able to, then definitely put the brakes on before you get there because often the other side of it takes you a lot longer to get out of than just taking a week's rest and recovery. So that's my that's my take on it. 
Yeah, it's unfortunately hard to see it and catch it early. But like you said, if you come on the other side of it and you allow yourself to go through that burnout, like it subsequently takes so much more time to get back into a good place. And it was something uh, I had to do myself this this year specifically. I remember working on New Year's Eve and like literally I just sat on my laptop up until the point of like, didn't even stay up until midnight because I was too tired from working all day. And I was like, I need to allocate some downtime for myself this year. So I literally just blocked out my calendar either two days or five days every eight weeks. Have I stuck to it? Maybe not. But the intention has Mm -hmm. been better because of last year, like I just, yeah, just went through, went through, went through. And it's fine. Like you get through a lot of it, but then when you actually do decide to stop, you're like, you know, how do I get back up again? And that's usually, you know, when most people get unwell too, right? It's because of, you know, adrenaline and everything is carrying them through. And then all of a sudden they give themselves a little bit of a break and their immune system's like, Hey, you know, we, we need some downtime too. And, you know, all of a sudden everyone gets, gets sick. So yeah, it's not something that's easy, but I think that like you said, if you can catch yourself just before, or even not even just before, but you put them in proactively, oh, yeah. then you're going to be so much, you're just going to have more sustainability throughout the year, I find, rather than these peaks and troughs. Even if your highs are high, yeah. your lows tend to be quite low, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, perhaps we should periodize it like our training, like, you know, you said there. Um, yeah, like training, You said sort of every eight, every eight weeks. I've recognized in myself every sort of 10 to 12 weeks. Yeah, I really need to take a complete break um, from work. I'll still probably train a little bit when I do take a break, but I'll I'll a bit more go with the flow. I might do more walks. I might do a bit more aerobic activity. I might do a little bit more circuit based training, but just not have the same sort of load and intensity going through me that I might I might ordinarily have if I'm in a if I'm in a sort of serious training block. But but yeah, you you almost once you once you get to that point, and you realise you should have taken a break. You, you almost get to the point where you're kicking yourself like like damn, what have I done? I I should have done this two to three two to three weeks ago, and then I wouldn't spend a month getting back on my feet or two months or even longer sometimes depending on how run down how run down you are 100 and it's really hard as well when you actually enjoy what you're doing right if you actually enjoy (laughs) your work you enjoy the training you're doing like sometimes you don't want to stop and it's funny that you mentioned about the gym as well and i find that when you do work in a gym and when i was on the floor a lot more you know that environment is always bumping it doesn't matter whether you go in at 6 a.m or you're training people at yeah. 10 p.m there's music blaring there's artificial lighting there's sure. energy from other people right and it's quite exhausting i remember when i was younger when i first started i could take a pre-workout at like 7 p.m go train you know and then like pretty much be in bed two hours later but these days like it just wouldn't be possible so i think it comes around to that sustainability aspects and obviously the more and then it's also that same thing we said earlier and like spotting your blind spots right you might not know when you need that downtime but that might be a good thing to then speak with your coach about and then if you start seeing certain indicators of progress start to dip maybe you're not getting as strong maybe your sleep is starting to falter a little bit maybe that's you know your body telling you you might not be able to see the signs you know in your day-to-day you might be enjoying life and loving it but your body will usually speak to you, right? So if you have a coach and some, like you said, qualitative data as well that you can look at, then that's usually a good sign that like, okay, my body is going to tell me maybe before my mind even realizes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I've got one final question for you, but I feel like this has been a really valuable conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. First of all, before we do go into that, where's the best place for people to find you and follow your journey? If they want to know a bit more about you, if they want to follow uh, your competing, when are you next competing out of interest? Unknown. 
Unknown. Unknown at the moment. So for this year, the um, the competition season for me has finished. Um, I came fourth at Britain's Strongest Woman back in August. So just missed out on thank you. <laughs> just missed <laughs> out on a qualifying spot for Europe's, uh, which was a couple of weeks ago, and and Worlds. So for me, ta- for me now, it, it's kind of an off season. Nice. But usually, the best the best place to find me is on instagram i am at coached by katie on instagram and uh, much of my i guess chat and <laughs> posts and random thoughts and insight and hopefully sometimes valuable knowledge and posts is is, is popped on there so yeah that's probably the best place to find me yeah, you're underselling yourself again. So if you're listening now, go, go follow Katie. I'll put her Instagram handle on the show notes. On the note of your off-season, I saw something this morning about you uh, and Dan pairing up on, what is it? You're improving your super total? Tell me more about that. Oh, yeah. So obviously Dan coaches me and the past couple of weeks, uh, yes, again, we go back to the process. I have been showing up to training, but I expressed to Dan that um, my my sort of own motivation has been fleeting a little bit and mm-hmm. it's sort of coming back off the, off the back of having very sort of like serious goals and endpoints where when you're competing, they are always going to be there, even if you are process-based, but because I've done this for years, I have the habits in place that I, I'll always show up to training. But I said to him, oh, I've just not got that, you know, that mojo about training. And anyway, a couple of conversations with me and Dan. And then literally yesterday, got, got a voice message off Dan saying, oh, I'm thinking to do this over the next 10 weeks till Christmas. Do you want to jump on board? So basically the super total is the weight, is the cumulative weight you can do on a snatch, clean and jerk squat deadlift and bench press so that's what I was up to prior to this podcast today (laughs) (laughs) so that's how I spent my afternoon and then essentially me and Dan are going to be doing uh, something of a team training program and anybody's really invited to jump onto this so anybody wants to get stronger have a a bit more of a a meaningful training program over the next 10 weeks there's no cost or anything like that it's literally a bit of serious fun you know we're going to set up a group so we can we can talk between ourselves and just and see what we can do over the next 10 weeks but it was certainly humbling doing some of those lifts I've not done for a very long time today <laughs> and I am excited to improve them not much of a super total at the moment <laughs> <laughs> quickly run me through your individual numbers on all of those and then what you're striving for across these 10 weeks I also think their timing is great as well because people leaving up to the end of the year this is like yeah we're going to turn off the brakes yeah we're going to turn on the brakes now we'll just post until the new year but you guys are doing the opposite so i love that but yeah tell me more about your totals and your your numbers you're um, for. so there's there's various approaches that you could really take to this and like often when i'm prepping for competition i will wear and use everything i can from a supportive equipment point of view to get the very best out of my lifts and everything i do so whether it comes down to a lifting belt some straps some wrist wraps knee sleeves all of that business anything to give me an edge i will i will use and as it's been a busy competitive season i spent much of the time training in that equipment not only to help me get stronger but push more load in training but also to get used to using that stuff in competition right so it's got to be familiar to you as well um, Mm -hmm. to be able to perform so what I've decided to do for this super total is be 
completely raw for all of it. So this is why I say today it was um, nice. incredi- incredibly hum- humbling to A, do a snatch, which I haven't done for like over a year and a half. It was like <laughs> 35 kilos. My back squat was like 85 kilos today. I haven't back squatted for over a year because of the sport that I do. I tend to do more front squatting just because of the carryover to the events on Atlas Stones and overhead work. Sure. Um, deadlift today without straps and belt was 130 uh, my previous max was 165 when I'm sort of fully peeped and fu- fully kitted out um, for that bench was 57.5 kilos and the clean and jerk was like 65 kilos or something like that but yeah that's like completely unpeaked that is me coming off the back of sort of two months post-competition so I'm excited to see. So I think that total was around 370 or something like that today. Uh, right. And I'm going to aim for 450 in 10 weeks time. So around nice. about 10, 10 to 15 kilos on everything, hopefully. That's awesome. You, you put it out there now. So people oh, can revisit no. <laughs> this in 10 weeks and see if you stood by your word. But I think based on your pedigree, there's no doubt that you're going to achieve that. Yeah. And I mean, I wanted to take this approach to it because, you know, for example, as I said, the snatch, the back squat and the bench like I've got no business wearing all of these equipment in those lifts right I've got to get the skill of lifting lifting back in those lifts I think sometimes Mm. it's often overlooked that strength is it's a skill so if you're not skilled at those lifts you're gonna very very quickly hit a stumbling point so you know even when it comes to deadlift I can you know I consider myself like deadlift being one of my strongest lifts but yeah for sure I can improve my lockout and actually this is probably a bit of an opportunity to strip everything everything back down uh, train very hard really drill technique and then let that skill skill acquisition play a part in pushing my numbers up as well as the sort of the lean mass gain and the strength gain at the same time so yeah we're, we're both sort of in a similar position when it when it comes down to being perhaps a little untrained in certain aspects of this movement so uh, we're really excited to see what we can do in 10 weeks yeah that sounds fun i'm looking forward to following the journey that's for sure you're welcome to jump on elliot <laughs> maybe I, sh- I i think um i might do all right in the squat deadlift and bench because i've been focusing on those but i think my uh i don't even think i could technically execute a uh, snatch that's for sure oh yeah literally mine today was some sort of reverse curl of bar drop underneath and hope for the best is the best way i could describe the snatch today but it's yeah. good there's work to, there's work to do it's cool that's what mine would look like it would be like a, a disjointed upright upright row some type of like uh inertia and momentum fuel yeah cube and press exactly and then like a really wobbly overhead squat that's really much what it would look like <laughs> awesome so i have one more question for you and that's what we'll wrap up on today is what impact do you want to leave on the health and fitness industry what a question um i want to leave the health and fitness industry in a better place for me being in it and but and by that i mean being a a role model for other people and just to really show people that if you believe in yourself you have a supportive network and you are open to to learn and at times be vulnerable that you will be able to do great things and that you don't know how good you can feel basically and often people don't and I see a big part of my job as a coach is to make people realize how much better they can feel and to just really help them achieve their potential in whatever they choose to do 
That's a beautiful message. And I think that you are definitely succeeding in that pursuit. <laughs> Thank you so much, Katie. It's been an uh, absolute pleasure. pleasure to speak to you today. And I'm sure that everyone's going to take value from this. So like I mentioned earlier, Katie's details will be in the show notes. So make sure you go follow her and not just for the normal posts you're going to see, but now you have to keep tabs on her super total just to make sure that she does <laughs> each of those heights. But I'm sure it'll be uh, really, really insightful and interesting to watch. So thank you again, Katie. Take care, guys. And I look forward to catching up with you all soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.